Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. And now this is a bit different for me because I'm not someone who likes to be up here and get boxed in and is in one place. I like to sort of move around the stage quite a bit. But that's okay. We've got to make do with what, what we've got. So I think I might still hold my iPad. I don't think I can like, put it here and be that boxed in. So maybe, maybe I mind at some point, but I think I might still hold it. But anyway, it's great to be here. It's great to be back up here again and bringing this week's message and continuing on our sermon series. But before we get into it, let us just start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather here today. I thank you for your son and your many servants. Bless today's message. Allow your word to wash over us and to be able to connect with us deeper. Through the power of your mighty son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we're currently in our fourth week in our sermon series. Salvation is here. And in this series, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. Now, Lachlan brought us our first week, and he sought to frame the series as if it was a courtroom drama. Lachlan set the stage for us. He gave us the background information about how Luke, through his writing, is trying to defend the Apostle Paul. He's trying to prove his innocence. Furthermore, Lachlan told us that Paul's trial is actually a trial against Christianity. Thus, our defendant isn't just Paul, and it isn't just Christianity, but Jesus is the one on trial here. And this makes sense to us because Jesus is our faith. Jesus is Christianity. So with that background and that context, the previous two weeks we've heard from Eric and we've heard from Kerry, they brought us Jesus' works, his ministry, and his salvation. Salvation through faith. Salvation through Jesus. This week and then the following week, we'll be looking at Jesus' goals and looking at them in more specific detail. Now, for those that are interested in diving deeper, that's a hard two words to say together. For those that are interested in diving deeper, there we go, into the various chapters of the Gospel of Luke, then the overview of these, these chapters are, come from Luke 9, 51, 10 to 37, and Luke 10, 38, 13 to 21. So that's actually quite a huge amount of, you know, information there, verses, and that's a lot to go through with in 15 to 20 minutes. So we're not going to look at the entire overview today, but if you were interested in sort of going further in that, I encourage you to go to Luke 9, 51, 10 to 37, and Luke 10, 38, 13 to 21. Now, I'm going to be doing something slightly different, and hopefully it works. Instead of reading out the passage today, or inviting someone, someone up to come and read today's passage, we're going to watch a short little clip. This clip comes from the LUMO Project, and those that don't know, the LUMO Project is an organisation that is set out to visualise the Bible. So you'll be able to hear a voiceover that is reading the Bible word for word, but there are actors acting out what the story is you know, happening. So hopefully this works. Hopefully this is something a bit different. Bear with me. So today's passage comes from Luke 9, 51, 62. 
to follow along if you would like, but let us watch today's reading. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So something a bit different, but another way to interact with the Bible, another way to interact with God's word. And if you're interested and want to see more or sort of like watch an entire gospel or book of the Bible, then head over to the Lumo Project and you get to watch more readings. Now, going back to that question, what were Jesus' goals? For those that are familiar with Jesus' ministry, to simply put it, Jesus set out to proclaim the kingdom of God. He taught us how to be a disciple. He commanded us to spread the kingdom of God and to make more disciples. Finally, Jesus conquered death. Jesus' ultimate goal was to bring his new covenant to us, a new partnership with God with Yahweh. The partnership is only made possible through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. As we know, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It wasn't necessarily a goal per se, but Jesus fulfilled what was prophesied in the Old Testament. Now that gives us legitimacy on who he says he is. Now, I quickly want to touch on the kingdom of God for a second before we sort of move on to the nitty-gritty of today's passage. What is the kingdom of God? This is an important question for us to try and answer as the kingdom of God is mentioned many times throughout the Bible and it is mentioned towards the end of this passage that we are looking at today. Now, when I say the word kingdom, we often think about it in our modern-day sort of context, 
A kingdom being a piece of land or city, we often think of it as an actual place. However, the Greek and Aramaic meaning of the word kingdom means sovereignty, reign, or to reign over. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, what he is really saying is God's reign is near. We see the same meaning in meaning of kingdom in the Hebrew scripture. In Psalm 145, 10 to 11, it says this, All your work we will thank you, Lord, and your, follow, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of your glory, of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. You see, here God's kingdom is parallel not only to the place that he reigns over, but to his divine power. In this psalm, the faithful will praise God's divine power and sovereignty, not just the place that he reigns over. We are called to further the kingdom of God, to spread his kingdom, to spread his reign, to spread his power. Now, this should give us a basis, a starting point as disciples. God's kingdom is not a place that we should try and achieve, but rather something that we should submit to. We as disciples of Jesus must submit to God, to Yahweh's reign, to his sovereignty. Now that leads us into the sort of the meat of the passage today. As we see in the passage, Jesus is making his final journey to Jerusalem. There is this Samaritan village nearby, and they do not welcome Jesus. The text does say that they do not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem, but we're not quite sure if they just outright rejected him or if they didn't offer him a house to sleep in because he was so set, his face was set on going to Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they did not welcome him, and the disciples were not happy about this. Verse 54 says this, When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Now, have you ever used the acronym WWJD? What would Jesus do? Now, this is something that you sort of might ask yourself when you're in a situation. What would Jesus do? You might be driving along and someone cuts you off. What would Jesus do? You might be in the supermarkets and someone cuts in front of you in the line. What would Jesus do? Now, we see Jesus do many things. And see, I think James and John were sort of asking themselves this question, what would God do? You see, in the Old Testament, we see God wiping out and restarting humanity with a flood. He destroys an entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the prophet Elijah even calls down fire upon soldiers of an evil king. So I think, what would God do? Well, John and James were thinking, well, he's destroyed cities in the past. Let's, let's see if he's going to do it again. Now, John and James don't have the power to do this, but they can pray for it. 
However, what does Jesus do? He uses this interaction to teach his disciples about the implications of being a follower of him. The text then goes to say this, verse 57 to 62. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed but said, Lord, let me, refer, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. See, this is quite a jarring lesson from Jesus. But part of Jesus' goal here on earth was to teach us how to follow him how to accept God's kingdom. The phrase, the son of man has no place to lay his head, well, that's easy enough for us to interpret, right? Jesus was a nomadic man and was traveling from place to place. But what Jesus is also trying to say directly to the people there is that if you want to follow me, like me, you too will be traveling. You will have no home. These next two statements that Jesus says is a bit more harsh. And I don't know about you, I find them quite jarring and harsh. Let the spiritually dead bury their dead. And anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, some translations don't put the word spiritually there in that sentence, in that phrase. Let the dead bury the dead, as we sort of heard in the video. Which to me sounds a lot harsher than spiritually dead. At least spiritually dead implies that we should not waste our time with those that have completely hardened their hearts with God. It would be like talking to a stone brick wall and asking it to move. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to stay there. It's immovable. But to tackle the translation where spiritually is not included in verse 60. Now, if I'm getting this correct, because I'm not a Jewish scholar, it was a Jewish custom that when someone died, they needed to be buried straight away. Even if you were to, it's a bit gruesome and dark, hang someone, you couldn't leave their body there overnight. They had to, the body had to be brought back down straight away. The body had to be buried straight away. There was a seven-day mourning period following the burial. And so if this disciple, if this follower, if their father had just died, well, then they wouldn't be there with Jesus. This Jewish custom is to bury the family member in the family tomb and then wait for the body to decay to the point where there were only bones left. So this generally took about a year. The bones would be then collected again and then reburied. So there would be two burials. This 
is sort of there is a seven-day mourning period, then a 30-day mourning period, and then a year mourning period. And that's where that sort of waiting one year comes in because after that one-year mourning period, you would then take the bones and you would rebury them. It is theorised that because the follower was there with Jesus, the family member had not recently died. They may have just died quite a bit ago. And so the follower was using this custom as an excuse to leave Jesus for a short period of time to get out of whatever Jesus was asking him to do. And this was either preaching or spreading the good news, spreading the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus was a Jewish man and would have known this custom. It is possible that Jesus is making two points here. The first one is about theology. It was believed that you needed two burials because once the body had decayed and you had buried the bones, that was a way to atone for your sin, that your sins were washed away through the burying of those bones by by a family member or someone else burying those bones, that person that had died, their sins were atoned. Now, we know that the only way to atone for your sins is through Jesus. So possibly Jesus was correcting theology there. Now that might be a retroactive look on it. But the second point, and the one that I more want to focus on, is that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, it requires your full attention. The follower had already upheld the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment that Moses had brought of honouring your parents. See, the disciple had, or follower, had buried the parents. They had honoured them. And now what Jesus is saying is, you've done that. Good work. But you must follow me wholeheartedly. You must preach about the kingdom of God, spread the news of God's reign here on earth. This is further reinforced by verse 62. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how many of you have tried to actually plough a field, have done farming of that nature, but let me rephrase what Jesus is saying here in our sort of maybe more modern-day contexts for us to sort of understand it better. So, but Jesus told him, anyone who drives their car and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. See, just like if you are ploughing a field or driving a car, if you don't have your full attention on what is in front of you, you might swerve off the road. You might destroy the field that you are cultivating. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a disciple, means that your life will change forever. Your old life will be left behind and that you need to keep your full attention on what is in front of you or you may vary off the path. 
The disciples did this very thing after the crucifixion. What did they do? Instead of continuing the work of Jesus, instead of continuing to spread the good news, what did they do? Well, they went back to their old jobs. They took up their old life again. They didn't continue with their new one. We too can be caught in this trap. There's this saying or phrase that I heard that really sums it up. And I would love to take credit for it, but it's not mine. But it goes like this. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Furthermore, let me ask you this question. Is there enough evidence to prove that you are Christian? So rephrasing that thing. If there is enough evidence to prove that you are a Christian, is there enough evidence to prove that you are a disciple of Jesus? Jesus' goal here on earth was to bring the kingdom of God, to mold disciples into people that could receive that kingdom. But we too need to be fully committed to Jesus, not half committed, not three quarters, not one quarter, not just a smidge or 99%, because there's still that 1%. You need to be 100% fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have a whole new identity when we follow Jesus. When we enter into that relationship with him, we are free from the shackles of our sin and we are commanded to spread and preach the kingdom of God. We're commanded to preach about his reign, about his sovereignty. So let me just end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can hear your word, that it can nourish us. Lord, we pray for your kingdom on this earth. We pray for your work on this earth to be done. Help us fix our eyes on you, Lord. Help us keep our focus on you. Bring what is on our hearts to you, Lord, and we ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, be with us in everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.